welcome back to Big Fish Little Pod. I'm here with my dad, and we actually wanted to dive a little bit into each of our spiritual backgrounds. Um, whenever I listen to a podcast, I'm always interested in the topic, but I actually also really want to hear more about the person behind the topic. So today I'm going to ask dad a bit about his spiritual background, how he got to where he is today, and if that was kind of a straight shot or a bit of a more meandering path. So I think I want to start with what spirituality was like for you as a child. Like what was your home environment like? What were you taught about God? And was that something that came naturally to you in childhood? Or um, was it something that you kind of struggled to connect with? So back to Bobby as a little boy. I always, when it's time to tell my story, I always start with, I have not had a conscious moment in my life where I didn't know that Jesus was present with us. Jesus? Jesus specifically? Yes. Yes. Um, because of the way my parents lived, um, because they believed that Jesus had sent back his spirit to dwell with us, um, that Jesus being the God that we've talked about coming from John, who was with God at the beginning, um, you know, was, you know, and was God and brought everything into creation, you know, um, lived and died and rose again and all that stuff because they believed that they lived as if as if God Jesus was a member of our family because he was a member of their lives um, my mom growing up had mm -hmm. her father had a, a saying framed on on the wall that said um, God is a a silent listener to every conversation and uh, and something else about God being present I can't remember what it was now um, and that's the way my mom lived we didn't have that poster otherwise I would know what it said but, <laughs> um, but but that's the way she lived that that God was a present member of our family to the point where at Thanksgiving, we would have a seat for God, you know? And, and so I grew up with God being a real entity that was present in our life and was not only in our home, but went with me. Um, and through books that my mother read and songs that my mother would sing um, and growing up in a church, um, I, it was just a natural thing, as natural as the fact that I had two brothers. Um, I also had God who lived in our house and who cared about me and who would talk to me if I wanted to talk to God. So that's how I grew up. Yeah. I'm curious about the Jesus Part. Like, like it is, I don't think I've ever really got that from you before because you are so open and inclusive. 
I feel like when I hear about you talking about your relationship with God, it's always about God. So it's interesting that for you, at least in the origin story around your relationship with God, it really came from a Jesus. Yeah. Um, it was Jesus who lived with me. But I again, I was a child. I was taught these things and I had no reason not to believe them, you know, um, and I experienced them because I believe them, you know? Um, so yeah. Jesus, it was very clear to me. I didn't really think about it until it came time for baptism. And then again, when I went to seminary and had to sort through all this stuff, but I never thought about it. I just, it just was, you know, and it was as much as Tuesday follows Monday um, that, God was real, that Jesus was a part of God, and that Jesus hung out with us. Um, so that was my early beginning. The the part of me now that is that talks less about Jesus and more about God or spirit um, is just my trying to speak common language with other people. Right. You know? And yeah. And where's it when you thought of Jesus, like, <clears throat> was it the character of Jesus, like from the stories and like the pictures you see of Jesus? Or was it Jesus, like in your heart? Because I think for me, I think of Jesus as like the character who came here and like was with the disciples. And then I think of God and the Holy Spirit more as like present with me now. Yeah. Um, mine was both. It was the character who was present with me now as God. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but I always saw Jesus as the pictures. Yeah. You know, I never saw Jesus as just a, a spirit. I never saw Jesus as something modern. Yeah. You know, um, he had long hair and a beard and a robe usually. Um, but he was real. Yeah. You know, yeah. to the point where even as a older person, like 16, 17, when I started driving, Jesus used to sit in my car. He would sit in my car and ride with me and I would talk with him. You know, so I think I'm crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was that was real. And I I knew Jesus wasn't really sitting there in my car. Um, yeah. But I envisioned that. Yeah. You know, and that's how it was growing up. I never, like, I didn't always see Jesus when I was playing kickball in the yard. Mm -hmm. um, but I always knew that he was with me. Yes. Um, and that always affected how I felt about myself, how I felt about others, and what I chose to do. And, and I mean, you kind of alluded to this, but did do you think that's because of the family you were born into? Or do you think like you are a minister and you had this calling and maybe you had kind of a closer connection with Jesus than the average person. I think it's because of the family I was born into and the closeness that I had to my mother. Um, what was real for her was real for me. Yes. And did you ever consider, like during that early time, like did you ever consider other uh, versions of God, like outside of the Christian no, not, not early, not early. Um, that didn't happen 
until like 17, 18, 19, you know, 20, you know, like when I was 17, I read a book called Seth Speaks. Yeah. You know, which is a whole different kind of spirit world um, that, that believes in reincarnation and, and um, that you come back as spirits to learn lessons and for certain tasks, uh, but that you choose that, you know, that you come back as mm-hmm. this person because there's something you wanted to achieve, you know? Um, and okay. so that opened up my mind, but I always tried to incorporate my open mind with what I had grown up with because I believed it. You know, I believe that everything I grew up with was true. Yeah. You know, so I didn't, I wasn't looking for something to replace it. Yeah. Um, So I began at that point to say, well, this sounds like it could be true too. So how does that fit in, especially to the idea that you have one life, you die and you go to heaven, you know? So I began to to look for how Jesus might be bigger than I knew. Right. That God might be bigger than I knew, which totally made sense to me. Because God has to be bigger than I know, because God's bigger than me, you know? Um, yeah. And yeah. so it wasn't hard for me to believe that there are things that I don't know. Yeah and that i don't understand and that i shouldn't be close-minded yeah yeah so it wasn't like a conflicting thought and that's helpful i think i was rather than grow like my parents didn't indoctrinate me with christianity yeah they just lived their life and their belief and i perceived it as real you know and how do you think they would have felt if you had turned away from Christianity, like all, you have three siblings and I mean, you're all kind of were practicing in varying degrees, but as far as I understand, nobody like turned away from Christianity Um, or from God. Yeah. Nobody turned away. Or became Um, like enthusiastic about a non-Christian path or something. It was either like neutral or Christian. Right. My uncle became a Unitarian rather than a Christian. Right. His mother, my grandmother, struggled with that mightily because she was worried about his eternal soul. Right. My mom and I had conversations that Uncle Carl was living exactly the way Grandma wanted him to live. He just didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God and was God. Um, But he was compassionate. He believed in justice. He worked hard to relieve the suffering of the people in Elmira. He was an honest, good man. Um, So I even had conversations as my grandmother was aging and dying, you know, knowing that she was worried about that. You know, I was pastoral to her at that point. And I said, Grandma, Uncle Carl lives the way you want him to live got to trust that he's in God's hands, even though he's taken a different path. Mm-hmm. You know, so my mom didn't feed into the fears of her her mother and didn't pass those on to me. 
Matter of fact, what my parents did pass on to me mm -hmm. was they even said, and I don't remember if I was eight, nine, 10, 11, somewhere in that area. My parents said to me that they were my mom and, they, and my dad, but that God was my father. And that there, there may come times when God tells me to do something that my parents are telling me the opposite about. They said, God put us in charge of you. So if you ever feel that you need to tell us, we won't stop you from ever doing what you think God wants you to do. But if you don't let us know, you'll be in trouble. <laughs> but, but they gave me that to say, that they're my earthly caretakers, but there's someone else bigger than them that is my father. Mm -hmm. You know, and that was an intellectual thing. And that was them saying to me, God is the one who is going to teach you and lead you. Yeah. You know, he may use us. He may use other people. He may use experiences that you have. But but God is the one you have to answer to. Yeah. It and so then as you kind of grew up and like, like not left the care of your parents, but like then started to think for yourself, like, did that come up? Did you have times where things contradicted with what you felt they had taught you? Um, yeah. I mean, my mom had an alcoholic uncle and she believed drinking was wrong. Mm -hmm. That she believed that if you drank, you became an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. I grew up and made decisions to drink. It was against the Baptist church. It was against my mother's desires. Um, I did it. Unfortunately, I wasn't honest with them. I hid it from them. Yeah. Um, you know, so I didn't have an honest conversation with them about it. I had honest conversations with God, mm -hmm. except I ignored the part of telling my parents. Yeah. Hmm. Which is interesting because you had such an open, honest, like, relationship with them. Yeah. Like, they were so open, right? So was that, like, out of... Yeah. Was that, like, out of fear of, like, judgment from them or reprimand? Or was that just, like, normal teenage rebellion? Um. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't drink to rebel. Yeah. I drank because I had fun drinking. Yeah. You know, and... It didn't seem like I was out of control mm -hmm. <laughs> and it didn't seem wrong to me, except that somebody else was telling me it was wrong. Yeah. Yeah. You know, basically my mother and the state. Mm -hmm. um, I, one of the dangers of her telling me that they were my parents, but God was my father is I also became a little bit of an anarchist mm -hmm. that, that like many people do with speeding, you know, um, they say, okay, the speed limit's 65, but it's okay for me to do 10 miles over. Yeah. You know, people make that choice every day, mm -hmm. you know, and choose their speed limit based on what they think is safe rather than what the speed limit is. Well, I did that with a lot of life. I said, there's a lot of man-made rules here. And, you know, I'm going to, 
I'm going to be, well, and I, I fooled myself, and that's the danger of it. I fooled myself into saying, I'm going to let God set these limits for me. Yeah. But as a teenager, I became God, yeah. you know, yeah. um, and I did what I thought was okay to do. Yeah. Until yeah. I learned that it wasn't. Yeah. You know, um, but I, I wasn't a big rules guy, and I'm still not to this day. Yeah. Um, I'm an internal rules guy instead. <laughs> so if you want me to conform, you better convince me that it's the right thing. You know? Yeah. So then, so as you got into like past your teenage years and going into college, like how did your spirituality start to take shape for yourself? Like, cause up until that point you had really bought into what your parents had taught you and you completely believed it and connected. With it. So did that change or did that stay true through that? Like The good part time? of my parents is that, and I think the only reason I didn't have a big rebellion is that my parents, it's cliche nowadays, but they shared with me a relationship with God, not a religion. Mm-hmm. They didn't share with me a whole lot of this is the way you have to do things. Yeah. You know, which in one sense is my understanding of what it means to be Baptist, which in this day and age yeah. seems ridiculous because the Baptist church, especially the Southern Baptist church, is some of the most dogmatic, you know, um, teaching practices kind of things with lots of rules and regulations as any faith. But for me, the Baptists are people who say, I have to stand before God and give an accounting of myself. Yeah. That no practice and no no religion is going to save me from that. I have to give an accounting for the way I lived my life um, before God. Yeah. And that's what always became important to me. Yeah. There were times I still did things God didn't want me to do. And unfortunately, I learned a lot about grace and would sometimes do things knowing that, oh, well, God will forgive me for this anyway, you know, which isn't, it's a total misuse of grace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And I had to learn that, you know. Um, But but my parents didn't give me a religion. Mm They gave me a relationship with God that was real all the way through our family. Mm -hmm. And they gave me spiritual practices. Mm -hmm. Going to church, we didn't go to church because you had to or you'd go to hell. Right. We went to church because it was important for the community to worship God together. Right. Because where two or three of us are gathered, here God is in our midst. There was something different about church than there was for our family devotions in the morning, than there was for my private prayer time. Something different happens in each one of those scenarios. And that's why we went to church, you know? So that's what they gave to me. They gave me in, and, and I think they were ahead of their time in that, you know, but they gave me, a spiritual relationship and spiritual practices that could enhance that. And so then how did that manifest when you were away from home? Like when you left the home? When I went to college, all of a sudden I woke up on Sunday morning and, and I, I mean, very consciously said, Oh, 
I don't have to go to church today. <laughs> I can go to church if I want to go to church. Yeah. But if my friends are playing softball, I can go play softball. Yeah. So you didn't, like, when you got to campus, like, the first thing you did wasn't to, like, find the Christian kids or see when, like, churches were in the area I, or something. I did. Because, um, they. Yeah, I mean, you have that orientation thing where there's every club. Yeah. And there was a campus crusade. Um, so I put my name down. And I went to Bible studies for a while, and I went to morning prayer group for a while, but they were really dogmatic. And I guess the I I went to a training, and and it was it was an I found it campaign, and there I found a whole bunch of dogmatic people that wanted to go out and save people. Yeah you know, to share with them what you already had, you know. And so I went through the process and part of the process was they sent us out two by two to go witness to neighborhoods. Well, they picked a neighborhood for us in Springfield that was 95% Jewish. <laughs> um, we met, knocked on doors and met some very nice people who were not interested in hearing about the Messiah. Mm -hmm. um, they were pretty happy with who they were. And I enjoyed my conversations with them, but, and nobody was mean to us. They talked to us, they were fine, but I didn't feel the need to save anybody. And I wasn't worried about them dying and going on to whatever process they believed they were going on to. Because I knew it was in God's hand anyway. Yeah. yeah. Regardless of what we all believe, right. if there is a God, God's in control of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, so, um, so we went back and reported that we had no conversions. Yeah. And, and they were, like, disappointed in us. And I'm like, that's the last time I was a part of that group. Yeah. Because I didn't like people being disappointed in me. Yeah. And I didn't. We met a whole bunch of people who were spiritually in good places. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. And they were stupid for wanting me to convert them. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know? So I learned a lesson there. Yeah. So I didn't go back to Campus Crusade. I did get a job as a youth group leader in a local mm -hmm. church. And I tried to find churches. But I never... The church I went to most in my college campus was the four o'clock Sunday afternoon folk mass mm. on campus. Yeah. You know, because yeah. the chaplain was cool. Yeah. yeah. Is it still the Catholic college? No, no. Oh. They just had a Catholic chaplain. Um, and I mean, it's a New England college, so there's lots of Catholics, you yeah. know, but it was yeah, it yeah. was a non-denominational school. It had no no affiliation. Okay. No, no it was a YMCA school. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's what it started as. Yeah, yeah. So um, it was Christian, yeah. but. And did your mom ask you, like, are you going to church? Um, I would come home and go to church every weekend I was home. And I would tell her, yeah, I went to this Methodist church. I didn't really like it. Or it reminded me of the Navy chapels. It was okay, but there were no people my age, you know. 
Um, you know, I would yeah. tell her what I was looking for, but at the same time, yeah. I had the best devotional life that I have ever had. Mm. Um, because I woke up early, like I still do, and nobody yeah. was awake in the dorms. Yeah, yeah. So I would spend an hour reading my Bible, listening to Christian songs, um, praying on my knees by my bed, um, and, and saying, God, what is it that you want in my life? And so there yeah. I was saying to God, because I was drinking pretty heavy because it was fun and people laughed at my jokes mm -hmm. more. But I would say to God, um, I would say to God, look, God, I don't think this is wrong. And if I ever wanted to be a minister, I know that it says a minister should be sober, but I don't want to be a minister. Um, and I don't think I'm wrong. I think my job is to give control of my life to you. And if I don't lose control drinking, I can still do that. If I lose control drinking, then I can't give you control. And I know that's wrong. Yeah. But if you think this is wrong, please make me get sick. <laughs> and, and then I would go out that night and I would drink beer and I would drink shots and I would drink a mixed drink trying to get myself sick and I wouldn't get sick. So obviously I knew something was not right about what I was doing. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until my sophomore year that and I'm still having these prayer times talking with God about my life and what's right and wrong, you know. Um, and we we had a, a, a freshman that came on the dorm. We befriended him. He was a football player. And as a freshman, he made the third team All-American football team, mm -hmm. um, which is incredible. Uh, yeah, yeah. As a freshman, he hung out without with us for a year doing the things that we did. He couldn't handle it, and he didn't even make the team the next year. Yeah, yeah. We had wrecked his life. Yeah, yeah. Now, his choice. Right. Um, not our choices, but right. we helped that. And right. what in my devotional, what God said to me was, is that the influence you want to have on people? Yeah, yeah. And that's when I stopped drinking. Yeah. You know, and now I only drink around people that I know are going to be okay and in control. Yeah, and not in excess. Yeah, we drink wine now to enhance yeah. our meal. Yeah, yeah. You know, but but it was that devotional life that became real for me. So even though I wasn't going to church on Sunday, I was praying every day in my life. Yeah, your own personal prayer. And I was walking and talking with God. Yeah, yeah. And so you mentioned like that you didn't plan to be a minister. So at that point, did you just imagine your adult life to be like an active Christian? Like you'd be helpful in the church and you would find like you and your family would probably go on Sundays and you would have your own devotionals at home, but you didn't imagine that you would yeah, be. Yeah, I would have my, those conversations with my dad that I know I'm supposed, I know that as a Baptist, yeah. I'm a minister. I know that. Yeah. That we all have a ministry. Yeah. I said, I want my ministry to be helping people make wise decisions in their free time. Yeah. In their leisure time. So I became a recreation and leisure major. 
Yeah. You know, um, and I thought I would help people make good, healthy choices during their leisure time. Yeah. I would go to church. I would sing in the choir. I would probably lead a youth group, right. you know. Um, yeah, you'd be like an point. active member of the church. Like. Absolutely. Yeah. And would probably even fill in for a pastor when they went on vacation, like I did for my dad. Yeah. Did people say to you, like when you were growing up or during this time, like, oh, you would be a good minister? Or was there ever like this idea, like because your dad's a minister, you might be a minister? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, anytime I led any of the the plays that we did or was the narrator in the Christmas play or filled in for my father when my father was sick or preached the Easter sunrise service. Yeah. Um, oh, you have a calling, son. Yeah. Well, yeah, I do. It's it's to help people make wise choices in their leisure. <laughs> and did you that idea like of that like helping people make wise choices in their leisure is that something like you just came up with or did you actually feel like God told you to do that? Um, that was more my guidance counselor giving me all the tests, and and yeah. helping me figure out what I was good at, what I was called to. I took all those aptitude tests yeah. and and all those possibilities and and then when I got to Springfield, I loved it. This is what I want to do. I'm good at this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's so funny because I think you and I we both have the same thing because we come from ministers' families. Like, I right. think for other people, it's like maybe they come from a spiritual family, but like the big decision would be to become clergy. Like, right. Maybe your right. family's devout Catholic, but if your son decides to become a priest, it's like, whoa, right? Like, that's the big decision. But yeah, I think for us, it's like the decision to not become clergy is a bigger decision. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, because if if we have any inclination to spiritual life, then the assumption is that we will become clergy. Like, yeah. so it would be more... It would, yeah, it would be yep. more of a yeah. like, divergent choice to have an active spiritual life, but not be clergy. Yeah. Hmm. So then, so then you graduated from Springfield, and I know this part of the story, but you can share it. Like then you, then you got your dream job as a recreation director in your hometown. Yep. And so that left me going to church every Sunday at Hope Valley, where your dad was the minister where I had been in the choir and now was in the choir. I led youth group. That's where I met your mother, um, yeah. you know. Um, and and then in the midst of my job, I kept finding that I was spending all my time at the senior center, talking with the seniors after lunch about what was going on in their life. And then going to the drop-in center and meeting with the teenagers that were there that were mostly troubled kids that, uh, and just spending time with them and helping them with their life. And so then it was like, all right, you know, I'm supposed to be in my office making plans for leagues and stuff. And I'm really drawn to this. And I really like preaching when my dad goes away. Um, what's going on here, God? You've given me my favorite job and I would rather be doing something else. Yeah. You know, and that's when I drove to the Cape that day and, just talked with God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and would you say that that was like your calling moment or? Yeah. Because, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's when I came back and I mean, I did have a spiritual dream that night um, where, well, where Satan entered my room um, and I was afraid. 
I mean, fear like I had never felt there in the corner of my room was Satan. Um, and then Jesus appeared right beside me, of course. And then they started tugging on me. They had a tug of war. And I'm like, I, I remember saying to Jesus, I don't understand how come you're not winning. Um, and he said, you have to make the choice. And I said, oh, well, in the name of Jesus, be gone, Satan. Um, <laughs> and he was gone. And I was there with Jesus. And I knew that that was all about my calling. That that God would give me what I wanted, yeah. but that my soul would be yeah. in turmoil until I figured out that I was called to be a pastor. Yeah. You know, but I had to choose it. So then I, yeah. I worked out my letter of resignation and applied to seminary and, and went on. Wow. That's so interesting because I feel like that's, um, so much of right. what you taught me, like that makes a lot of sense for my belief system because like, it's not like I don't believe in hell or something, yeah. but I've just never seen it as a threat because I always feel like in the end, I will be given the choice, like where I want to go. But that's such a weird idea. Like, why would there even be like a heaven and a hell if I get to choose where I go in the end? You know, like, of course I'm going to choose heaven. So it's funny to hear that story because I'm sure that's a, a big part of where my beliefs originate is from you having that experience. Yeah, because, teaching me. you know, spiritually, as I went to seminary, I quickly became a universalist mm. um, in that I didn't believe anyone would go to hell because why would you choose hell? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But then I kept reading Revelation and saying, darn it all, there's this very clear dream where some people, and then I read C.S. Lewis at the same time, and it's like, yeah. wow, maybe some people will look at the face of God and say, I don't want this. I want to do it my way, Yeah, you know? Um, yeah. And and this, the yeah. revelation makes it very clear that there's some people that are going to do that, and they're going to end up in the place of gnashing of teeth, you know? Um, um, and so I had to say, yeah, yeah. all right, I don't understand why anyone would do that. But C.S. Lewis convinced me that people would. Yeah, yeah. You know, that for whatever yeah. reason, they were stuck and couldn't really see God. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so I do believe in some kind of heaven and hell. I don't really believe in, in eternal hell. Yeah. Um, I believe we put ourselves in hell yeah. um, until we figure out, I don't want to be here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. Um, I don't believe in any, yeah. I don't, but I also don't believe in an end of time that sometimes things are going to end and God has to say, all right, your time's up. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know. So then when you put in your letter of resignation and applied to seminary and you told your parents were they like mad because they had just like helped you go to college for this whole career and now you were canceling it or were they like yeah we expected you to change your mind that's or... when my mom told me the story of my birth hmm. she had never told me but she told me that she had had all those miscarriages that i was conceived and made it to three months. And she said to God, God, if you'll let this one live, I'll dedicate him to you. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad she never told me that until I made that choice. Yeah. 
because that would have been such a burden to grow up with. And it was such a confirmation once I had made the decision for myself, you know, that like Samuel, I was dedicated from conception, you know, um, and that this was the plan that God had for me. Yeah. And so that was also like an outward confirmation for you. Like, yeah, this, I, this was the right choice. But if that had been forced upon me, yeah, yeah, I would have done anything but. Yeah. 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 So that was their reaction. And my dad is just a big cheerleader. Yeah. So he was just happy. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> he's always like the neutral party in the stories. Like... Well, he's always just happy for you, you know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> so then um, this part I know too, you didn't you didn't take the normal route of going to seminary for three to seven years and then graduating and then looking for a church. Right. That's not how it went. That is not how it went for me. I, I was egotistical enough and I think it was the right thing for me. And what happened is that when you go as a freshman into seminary, you sign up for field education which means working at a church, usually as a youth group leader, because most ministers are older and have lost touch with the youth. And so you bring in a young kid and they get to be a youth group leader. Um, I went to the leader of the program and said, I've led youth groups. I've led vacation Bible schools. I've led Christian camps. Um, I said, going to work at a church and being a youth group leader is not going to be field education for me. I would like to find a church that would see me as an assistant pastor um, so that I can learn and be educated about stuff that I haven't learned. Um, and he said, well, we don't have any of those. If you want to go to your executive minister and ask him, then by all means do that. Um, so I went to our executive minister in Rhode Island and he said, well, I'll look. And he called me back in December at December break. And he said, um, I can't find a church that would do that for you. Um, but I do have this small church in Tiverton that is looking for a pastor. And I think you're the one. I said, what? I said, I said, I did my first semester of school. He said, you've been trained all your life to do this. Yeah. I think you should send them your dossier. I said, I don't have a dossier. I'm a student. He said, well, then send them your basic Christian doctrine course. And I said, I'm only halfway through with it. Um, um, and he said, well, send them a letter about what you believe and what you think you have to offer. So I did. And they called me as their pastor. So in my first semester, yeah. well, at the break between my first and second semester of seminary, I became a full-time pastor of a Baptist church in Tiverton. So stupid. It was like so crazy. And that's what I said to them. You're either crazy or you listen to God. Um, and I'm hoping that you listen to God. How old are you at that point? I was 20, 23, almost 24. 
It was right before my 24th birthday. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, right before my 23rd birthday. Yeah, yeah, when they called me. And it took me six more years to finish seminary. And so um, uh, you are now in seminary, and you're the minister of a church full-time, and you're getting married, and you're 24. And did you ever, because you went to Andover Newton, which my understanding is like, it's a New England Christian seminary, right? So it's like somewhat liberal. And very liberal. Okay. Li second, <laughs> second only to Harvard. Okay. And so are you at any point thinking like, is this, like you knew you wanted to serve God in this way and you knew you wanted to serve his people, but were you ever thinking, is this the right denomination yeah. for me? Is this the right path for me? I knew I wanted to be a Baptist because I believe, again, that the Baptists is, are the folks who say, I have to stand um, before God and give an accounting of my life. Um, and everything else I belong yeah. to, church, denomination, is voluntary and not required. Um, you know, so that I knew I wanted to be a Baptist. Um, I had the choice of going to Gordon-Conwell, which was the conservative Baptist seminary or going to Andover Newton, um, which was a very liberal, you know, I mean, the, the third highest group of people that were there were the Unitarians, you know, um, and, and, and I knew that I would go there and have to develop apologetics for my faith <laughs> because it was going to be challenged. But I chose to take my my conservative Baptist faith and run it through the fires of intellectualism. That's why I went to Andover Newton in hopes that I would come out with something that was purified by fire, um, you know, and my mind would be open to the things that I should hear. Um, I knew that if I went to Gordon, the rebel in me would become, would, would rebel against some of the things that were important to me, where I knew if I went to Andover Newton, I would have to put words, in, intelligent words, to the simple faith that I had. So that's and, why I chose And it. so, and outside of Christianity never was attractive to you or, like, I mean, you keep saying Unitarian, so I guess that's outside of, I get, but like, Eastern religions or like it never it ne you never felt like there was in any way a conflict between your following of Jesus and maybe like an attraction to other no I never felt a pull to be anything else yeah or even to explore anything else yeah except in the fact that I wanted to know what made them tick yeah you know yeah yeah like in a um, like in a interest way like in a yeah and maybe originally i had some some egotistical pulling that meant i wanted to learn about them so that i could convert them <laughs> yeah you know yeah but the more i learned about f things i said these are all legitimate beliefs you know there's some things in there that I don't believe, but right. there's other things that are extremely valuable. And I understand why people 
are drawn to them. And, and what those studies did me was to say, there's a lot of weird things about Christianity too. I mean, do I really believe a guy got swallowed by a fish? I mean, yeah, yeah. God could make that happen. You know, you can live inside a baleen whale without being killed. You know, there's plenty of oxygen, I understand. Um, but did that happen or is that a metaphor? You know, and I began to look at all faiths um, as a metaphor. Yeah. Powerful, but as a metaphor. And I saw all faiths and religions mm. as manipulative and controlling because they're yeah. human institutions and valuable and wonderful because they're also gifts of God. And, mm. and what became important to me yeah. was that people seek. And that's my faith now. I am, I am yeah. definitely a seeker. Um, I want people just to not be satisfied with where they are, although I want them to be happy where they are, but to always know, I read a book, a simple book, but it's by Catherine Marshall called Something More. Um, I think no matter what you believe, there's always something more. Something more that God wants you to know, something more that God wants you to see, something more that God wants you to express, something more that God wants you to share and experience. Mm -hmm. um, and that if you're always looking, you're in a good place. You know, so that's that's where I am now, you know. Yeah, and that's how you always were for me and Andrew. Yeah. That's always the understanding I got. Yeah. From, you know. And for me, I mean, I haven't lost what I grew up with. Jesus is still a part of my life. And I walk and talk with him like a brother, knowing that yeah. he is also God. Um, but, but that's the yeah. thing that keeps me going no matter what. Because I believe that the almighty God who brought everything we know into existence knows me, loves me, and is interested in what I'm doing. Yeah, and I think that my what my feeling has always been about you is like that you like revel in that. And I've always known like the story of your like like your origin story, like how you were like your mother prayed for you and when you were in the womb and all that, but you always presented yeah. that like in like the full heartedness of how much you were loved, but it was always clear that you weren't unique in that. Right. Like that was, that's always been very present. Like, right. that, yeah, God, like Jesus sits in the passenger seat of your car, but he sits in the right. passenger seat of all of right. our cars. That whether you were born with that experience or not, it's still true about you right like whether your yeah. mother was able to tell god that feels god. that way about yeah. you even if the people who you were born into didn't yeah so then as the years went on and you had kids and then you had successes in your career and you had challenges in your career and you had successes in your relationships and you had challenges in your relationships did your theology or your personal relationship with god shift um my personal relationship with god has not shifted um, um, yeah. unless it's just a, a continual growing of how God not only feels that way about me, but about everyone and how, 
how there's probably not just one path to God, <laughs> that that there's as many paths to God as there are people. Yeah. You know, because God deals with us as individuals, the God who makes all those yeah. stars yeah. and the God who makes every snowflake different and every yeah. grain of sand different um, has a different relationship with each one of us. You know, um, that's grown a lot. I don't think there's one way, even though I am Christian and I yeah. do believe that somehow that that thing that Jesus may have said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to God except through me. Um, but that is only true if Christ is so much bigger than what we know. Right. It's not true about um, you only come to God through the Christian church. Right. That's not true. Um, in my mind, in my humble opinion. Um, right. So, um, so I'm not out to save people as much as I am to let people know that, well, my favorite verse, you know, yeah. don't be afraid for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name and you are my own dear child. I want everyone to know that God feels that way about them and that God is calling them. And if they want to respond, um, they can walk with God. That's so funny that. Because that feels to me like your mission now, you know, to know that everyone is like a loved and cherished child of God and that God has known them before they knew themselves. And it's funny that your initial thought that your mission in life was going to be to help people make good choices in their leisure time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well. <laughs> Which I think you actually do do that one too. Like, Everyone's close. <laughs> so um yeah of course there's a whole second half of your life i mean yeah. i could go on for hours <laughs> well maybe that would be something we could talk about in a different episode is more about yeah. like what has it been like in your ministry and how has that challenged and strengthened your relationship yeah because i've learned an awful lot from some really special times with people and i've learned a lot about some really hard times with people you know, yeah, there's a lot of lessons. Yeah. Yeah, well, for this week, one of the great things that I had to do with Mike working in the hospital as a chaplain for a semester, they made us go back and look, break our life into thirds and ask these questions that Amy has been asking, you know, um, what, what things do you remember and what things do you remember that have opened up a, a vision of God? for you. Take a look at your life after you hear the story and go back and look at those formative years and say, what did I learn about God or about not God? <laughs> and what do I want to respond to? so much for listening to this episode of Big Fish Little Pod. We are having such a great time making this podcast and we're really appreciating all of the feedback and input that we get from you. Please comment on the podcast post on my dad's Facebook page or send us an email at bigfishlittlepod at gmail.com. Thanks. See you next time.